Well, in my inbox, I recently received this message. And I'm going to read it word for word so you can get a feel of what I felt or what I heard or what I read. It said, hello, I am Barrister Philip Budulizi, an attorney of law to a deceased immigrant property magnate who was based in the UK, also referred to as my client. I was impressed. On the 25th of February, 2021, my client, his wife, and their two children died in an Air France flight bound for New York. They were on their way to a world cruise. Prior to that accident and since then, I have been managing Mr. Scholler's properties here in the UK. Some of these properties at the time of the accident were already put on sale. I, as his attorney, monitored the sale of his properties and the, de and the depositing of the proceeds into Mr. Scholler's main United Kingdom bank account. I have contacted you initially to assist me in re repatriating the money and possibly ownership of some of the property left behind by my client. Moving on down the document. All I require is your honest cooperation and confidentiality to enable us seize this deal through. Seize, S-E-E-S. Enable us seize this deal through. I guarantee that this will be executed under a legitimate arrangement that will protect you from any breach of the law. Whew, I feel better now. <laughs> trust me, Mr. Scholler's attorney. Trust me, Mr. Scholler's attorney. This is a risk-free transaction. Emphasis mine. Please send me your full names, address, and your telephone and fax numbers to enable us to discuss this matter further. Further, I very much look forward to a swift response from you. Kindest regards, Barrister Philip Budulizi. Believable, right? Maybe. Not a chance. You probably hold to the saying... If something seems too, be good, too good to be true, it probably is. You know what? Normally you and I would agree on that statement. We really would agree on that statement. And I believe that any clear-thinking person would see this and go, no, scam. Regarding the email above that I just read, it's foolishness. Right? Foolishness. We understand that. But you didn't come here this morning, did you, to, or tune in this morning to talk about things that seemed to be too good to be true, did you? We're present here today because of the claim that a borrowed tomb in Palestine that once held a crucified man named Jesus of Nazareth is empty. And it has been for close to 1,000 991 years, give or take a few. And for those who were witness to that reality, to that 
recite what they witnessed. It ended up being their best day ever. And I have news for you. Because of what they saw, because of what happened before they went and saw this on that Sunday morning, it can be your best day as well. Well, do you know that day that didn't start out with great expectations? I want us to really go. We, we sing all these songs, and they're, can we give all the musicians that sang and the, and the instrumentalists this morning an applause because they did such a great job this morning bringing us before the Lord and worshiping him. What a glorious day. Thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. But it wasn't that way that morning. For them, it was... They were depressed. They were done. They were in mourning. There was no joy to be found in those who followed the teachings of Jesus of Nazareth. None. No joy. In fact, there was a deep sorrow. Besides that, there was work to be done as the brave ones arrive at the tomb. The brave ones. The brave ones. Well, who were these brave ones? Not who you might think. I want you to think of this as the first time you've heard this story. The brave ones, oh, they must be those who followed him, right? All, all, the, all the manly men? No. The women who had been present at the cross as Jesus had been ex executed by the Roman regime on behalf of the Jewish religious establishment. And these women who had been there, who had seen this happen, were preparing to to pay their final respects. Now, we'll get our majority of our text this morning from what Tom read earlier. It's the Gospel of Luke, chapter 24. And verse 1 of chapter 24 tells us, and I, and I read the Scriptures, but on the first day of the week at early dawn, they went to the tomb, taking the spices that, as they, that they had prepared. Now, understand. Now, I want you to really think about this. What were they using those spices for? In first century Palestine, and even today, most people do not embalm a corpse. And I say corpse for a reason. A dead body. Don't get past that. They don't embalm a dead body. What they do is they take spices and ointment also maybe known as a perfume. And they take it and they put it on the body to mask the smell of decay. And because the women couldn't work on the Sabbath day, which is Saturday, they had to wait until the first day, the first day of the week, which is Sunday, to give Jesus the honor that they knew was due him. Their love hadn't ceased. Their love, it, it, it kept on. It was still there, and, and they demonstrated the love by this action. But honestly and surprisingly, they demonstrated a lack of faith. Think about that. They demonstrated a lack of faith. 
Part of a poem by W.H. Griffith Thomas explains this truth. He wrote, But dark the shadow of the cross fell then o'er earth and sky. There was an echo in each heart to that deriding cry, He saved others. Can it be himself he cannot save? Ah, love lives still, but faith and hope lie crushed within his grave. And I'm sure as the brave ones traveled from the point where they had prepared the spices, their words were few. They were hushed and they were solemn. Well, the passage continues. And they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. And when we combine the other Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and John, along with Luke, we get a picture of what happened, a more fuller picture. It's not any less accurate. Believe me, Luke was accurate. But we get a more thorough picture, more details. Matthew writes, he tells us this, there was an earthquake with an angel sitting on the tomb, sitting on the stone that had been rolled away. You know, and I suppose the question would be this, and I want you to ask it. Why did the stone need to be rolled away from the entrance? Why why did it have to be moved? It certainly wasn't because the resurrected Jesus needed a way to get out. No, it was so those who came to see him, what they thought would be where his corpse was laying, so they could see in. So his noticeable absence could be documented. Verse 4 tells us, while they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. Two men, we know from the other gospels, two angels, an angel, a messenger of God, a messenger sent by God to deliver the truth to those who needed it. They were there because he was gone. The brave ladies needed this message. Those hiding in a, in a house inside Jerusalem, those 11 men, they needed it. And we need it too. What was the angel's message for those at the tomb? And I can tell you this, the best day ever wasn't getting any less stressful. Put yourself in there position. And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, why do you seek the living among the dead? He's not here, but is risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the son of man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise? Well, 
ladies are on the ground, all right? First of all, they're alarmed. They're astonished. And they're terrified. Wouldn't you be? We read this, and go, okay, it's just a story. Just, just, wouldn't you be? <laughs> and most likely, they didn't expect anybody to be there. The only thing they thought would be there, and I say that the only thing, would have been a corpse. If anyone possibly would have been there, it might have been the soldiers who were left to guard the tomb entrance. But the appearance of men who were dressed in bright apparel? No, this wasn't in the cards. This wasn't what they were expecting. And with the words that the angel spoke, the realization that the distraught followers of Jesus, they didn't belong there. In that place, at that time, to do what they had planned to do, which was to anoint a corpse, it was misguided. Why do you seek the living among the dead? He's not here, but he's risen. Remember? What he told you. Remember how he told you. Remember, remember. But there were some difficult memories. And there were very conflicting memories that they had to deal with. I don't expect an answer here, but I don't think there is a, a good one. How does a person remember? How does a brain actually work? I mean, I know the electrical impulses going through and this and that, but how does a brain work? And really how it works is a relative mystery. And memory? Some can remember things better than others. Some remember from when they were babies. I can't remember what I did yesterday. Some people have what's called a photogenic memory. If you're one of those people, please don't tell me because I do not want to dislike you. <laughs> but for these women, two broad truths were given that would jar them, would jar them so they could move on to understand the empty tomb that was before them. Why was this tomb empty? Remember, they, they still were conflicted. They still didn't understand. And these two truths were also two things that they had to get past to be able to believe what he, Jesus, had told them to remember. Well, the first, the first truth are these events. The, the events, the events, the first truth. And I'm speaking about the events that happened for the past three years. The past three years that Jesus had walked the earth since he had begun his ministry. And even more focused, the last week 
maybe even more focused, the five days that had happened before. They remembered the triumphal entry. They remembered the Jesus' teaching in the temple, but they also remembered the dreadful day. The dreadful day. The women, we're still talking about the women. The women had been emotionally invested. They invested everything in Jesus. Why not? He treated them with more worth than any woman had ever been treated before, ever. They supplied their time, their means, their livelihoods. They took care of him. They took care of the disciples. Make no mistake, they loved Jesus. And when they, their friends, and all of those who actively supported Jesus had seen what had taken place that dreadful Friday. That for them was the darkest day ever. Far from the best day ever. They had suffered with him. Physically, no. They hadn't suffered physically, but they felt emotionally every blow. They felt every time that he rubbed up and down the cross on his back that was opened up because of the scourging. They felt the pain of the, of the cross, of the, the cross for sure, but the crown of thorns. They felt it. Only the women, not the men, except one, John, had seen what had happened. They had seen Jesus die horribly. And they would not able to, weren't able to forget that. They never would be able to forget that. I believe they were at this time suffering what we would call PTSD. You can't get past that. They would have been in shock, still in shock. They saw their master, their teacher, their friend die, and they felt his pain. How could this have happened to him? How could it happen to him? The truth is, they needed to remember the events. They needed to remember the events. The second truth, they needed to remember his words. Remember what he said, the angel said. Remember what he said. Why did he stress this? Why did the angel stress this? <laughs> because they're humans. Parents, do your children listen the first time, every time? No, they're humans. So are we. We need to be told over and over again. What were Jesus' words? They needed to remember. What were his words? He had told his disciples, all of those following him, not once, not twice, at least three times in the, in the Greek language, it was continually, continually, continually. It's written for us three times. What was going to happen? 
They saw how he willingly set his face. It was what, it's a term of you are turning to where you're going to go and your face is leading you. And Jesus walked like this all the way to Jerusalem. He didn't waver. He didn't blink. He didn't flinch. They saw how he willingly had, had set his face to go to Jerusalem to accomplish what he'd been set, sent here to do. He said this, I am going to lay my life down for my sheep. I will be crucified. I will be buried. And after three days, I will rise again. And these two heavenly messengers link these two truths together, the events and the words and I believe the light begins to come on. It's flickering. It's not fully on yet, but it's starting to flicker. The events, his words, betrayed, crucified, rise after three days. And Jesus, when they were, they were always thinking that these were good Jewish believers. They understood the resurrection at the last day. They understood in Daniel, they said, all, all will rise, some to good things, some to bad. And they thought, Jesus must be talking about that. And I, I, I guess that's what he's talking about. No. He spoke about what was evident with the body being missing. He spoke about, wait, three days meant three days? Three days meant three days? He wasn't there. Just as he said. And because the tomb was empty, it was another visionary example for them. It was a visionary aid. Now I'd like to speak to you about you. About you concerning the events. I spoke about how, how horrible the death of Christ was. And how could this happen to him? It's just, he was perfect. How could this have happened to him? And some of you might be thinking about events in your life. Could be in the past could be in the present. There might be some things that you have done that you deem to be irreracible, inerasable, and unforgivable. There might have been some things done to you by someone else that seem unforgivable and inerasable. For those things that you've done, you might believe that what happened to Jesus would be what you deserve. And you're right. We deserve death. 
because we have spit in the face of God over and over again. The truth is, every one of us, because of what we have done to others, and even more telling, what we have done against God deserve eternal punishment. And that's why Jesus died. But because of the events that took place when Jesus died, a divine transaction was made available. This verse keeps coming over and over to my mind, over and over and over again, for our sake. Our sake. He made him, God made Jesus to be sin who knew no sin. Do you know why Jesus asked the Father, take this cup away from me at Gethsemane? It wasn't the death. He was going to be made sin. So that in him, Jesus, we, you, me, might become the righteousness of God. When God sees you, if you are in Christ, he sees Jesus. No matter how heinous that you, how, no matter how heinous you are, Christ paid the penalty for that when he died concerning his words. When Jesus spoke, he always spoke truth, and there was no deceit ever in his mouth. Anything he ever said, or anything he ever will say, and anything he says through these words, his word here is still true. So when he declares something like this, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever Catch that? Whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. The reason why Jesus came for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. But in order that the world might be saved through him. Those are his words. So no matter how horrible, no matter how good you might think you are, which is horrible, Jesus came for you. Jesus died for you. And Jesus rose for you. It was proved by the events and by his words. Well, let's get back to the text. And they remembered his words. The light went on. Which led to joy, which led to excitement, which no doubt changed the demeanor of these brave ladies, which I'm sure influenced the eyewitness account of those who were at the empty tomb. 
They're fired up. They're on a mission. They're heading back. As Joel said, they're running, they're running, they're running. And returning from the tomb, they told all these things to the 11. The 11 are talking about the disciples, Jesus' 12 disciples who were left. 12 minus 1 equals 11. Judas was the one who betrayed Jesus. He wasn't there. And to all the rest who were with them. And now it was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, and Mary, the mother of James, and the other women. Notice that, the other women. It was a whole gaggle of them. I could have said heard, but I thought gaggle was better. I know, I'm in trouble. I'm waiting for the filter to kick in, and then, we'll be, then I'll continue. Now it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary, the mother of James, and the other women with them who told these things to the apostles. But these words seemed to them an idle tale, and they did not believe them. Well, the women, they were the first. They were the first dare I say, preachers. They proclaimed the good news. They did what Matthew tells us in his account, what the angels told them to do. Go tell the disciples and Peter. And the 11 men, men I think were like this. They could only see with common sense. That's why it was an idle tale. This is not common sense. This is not right. This is not logical. No one comes back to life after being tortured and killed like that. Jesus was killed real bad. Now, if they had thought about that last statement, I'm, I'm sure they didn't hear what I said. He was killed. I mean, he was crucified. He had a spear poked through his chest. It went into his heart. His pericardial sac emptied water and blood out, proving he was dead. He was dead. No one who breathes, who doesn't breathe anymore for 20 minutes, 30 minutes, an hour, three days, part of three days, dead is dead. Unless you're God. Unless you do have the power to raise the dead as they had seen. They had seen the dead raised. They had seen Jesus speak life. But it all seemed like idle tales and foolish talk. Yet in just a few days, these 11 men and those with them and these ladies who were once 
cowering in the corner, I would say with their thumbs in their mouth in a fetal position, figuratively, would be turned into lions, men with heart of the lions and women with heart of lions that would change the world because they had seen and believed that Christ had risen. They would soon declare that Jesus is alive no matter what opposition was put before them. But that was still in the future. That was still in the future. The Lord still had the patience. Don't make no mistake. He still had the patience to allow his sheep to hear his words. And he had the patience to let them process their thoughts and to hear his voice. Luke finishes our text this morning. He said, but Peter rose and ran to the tomb, stopping, or stooping, excuse me, stooping and looking in. He saw the linen clothes by themselves, and he went home marveling at what had happened. Marveling. We know from the fourth gospel that it wasn't only Peter that ran to the tomb. John ran with him. And as I love to, you can tell just the, maybe the little needling, the needling that they have together, John and, and Peter. John beat him there. What'd they find? They found burial clothes placed in an orderly way. Do you know that's another truth that points to the resurrection? If you were a grave robber, AKA the false narrative that the religious leaders put out, the disciples came in and stole the body, do you think that the disciples, what we understand, how they reacted, how they were hiding. Do you think that they would have taken time to unwrap the dead corpse and gently place and make sure that these burial clothes are folded up in an orderly way? No, they're gone. They wouldn't have taken any, if they did do that, they would have ran. Because if they were caught, they faced the death penalty. No way. Later that day, Jesus appeared to two men walking out of town. Those men were downcast, they were depressed, and Jesus struck up a conversation with them and and ask them, what's going on? What's been happening? 
And they said, are you crazy? You, haven't, haven't you ever heard? You, haven't you heard what's happened in, in Jerusalem? And Jesus took them through, spoke with them kindly, took, and made them think, asking them questions as a good Jewish teacher does. And he explained why the Christ from the Old Testament would have to suffer and die for the sins of the world. And as they kept walking, the men asked them, are you going on? And then he said, no, no. I'm, Jesus said, no, I'm going, I'm going on, acting like he was going to go further. But he wanted them to ask him. And they ask him, and he comes in, and he, and he still explains. And Jesus takes the lead. And as he breaks the bread, they're allowed to see. They saw the Lord. Instead of saying there, and, and he disappeared from their midst, he, he left. And instead of staying there the night like any sane person would do, they ran. They ran back the seven miles to Jerusalem from where they were at, and they ran and found the disciples. And they told them, we've seen the Lord. He's risen. Well, their gloom had turned to joy. Well, that's not over yet. That day, that same day, that perfect day, that glorious day, that best day ever, Jesus then comes into a locked house, a locked room, and he appears. Ah! Hey, that's not funny. It is. Okay, I meant it to be funny. But no, I didn't mean it to be funny because they, the men think, they thought they had seen a ghost because dead men who die that bad don't come back to life. But yet he said he would. Yet he said he did. And yet there's all these conflicting reports. But Jesus comes. See this? Put your, hand, put your finger in there. Put your finger on my side. And if that wasn't enough to know that a spirit that wasn't a spirit, he asked for some leftovers. Let's get this. We're, we're real people. These were real people with a real Savior, a real God-man Savior. And they needed evidence. And I tell you what, a ghost... A spirit doesn't eat. Give me that. And he took some food and ate it. And he explained from the Old Testament why the Savior would need to die and on the third day rise again. They believed. They were changed. It had become their best day ever because Jesus is alive. Men, women, boys and girls, what's the resurrection prove? Why is it important? It's as one man explained, it's God the Father's audible amen to the claims of his Son, 
Jesus Christ. Amen. You did what you came to do, and I approve. Everything he said, everything he did, all that he promised was validated. Why is the resurrection important? Because it declares that God God accepts the sacrifice that was made. It's accepted. It is finished. And God put his stamp of approval on it. His son is alive. It reveals our power for life. Pastor John spoke about this earlier today. Resurrection power. He lives. And the spirit of God that raised Jesus from the dead, if you're a believer, he lives within you. You have power. It assures us of a present and living friend. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Are his words true? It anticipates future glory because he rose. So will you. Again, I look at my three people, my faithful widowers and widow. He lives. And you'll see your wives and your husband. You'll see your son. You'll see your loved ones. But most of all, we'll see our Savior, the one who deserves all glory. He lives. And because he lives, every day is worth living. It was secured by what took place that best day ever. He is risen.